welcome to the Natural Medic Adventures. My name is Craig. I'm also known as the Natural Medic. I hope that you're having a great summer so far. I'm recording this on August the 2nd. And here in Texas, it has not been too terribly hot until the last couple weeks of July. And this past week, it has been in the upper 90s and Pretty much, I don't know if it ever reached 100, but it got pretty close to reaching 100. So it got pretty warm from time to time, but not too terribly bad. But now, we just had a cold front come in, and it actually rained a little bit this morning, and so it's kind of cool. However, if you're in a situation like this, wherever you're listening from, because I know it's hot out there everywhere, you can work on your skills. Last week in episode three, we talked about the leave no trace skills. We kind of went over those. And in episode two, we talked about the 10 essentials. So my plan is for this episode is to kind of do a deeper dive into the first five of the 10 essentials. And those first five are uh, navigation, which is like map, compass, uh, navigation, GPS. Um, the second one would be sun protection. The third one would be insulation, which includes, you know, layering and protecting from cold weather, but also would include uh, rain wear and things like that. Uh, the fourth one was good would be illumination, so flashlights, headlamps, that kind of stuff. And then the fifth one would be first aid. And of course, none of these are going to be, you know, end all be all analysis of each of those five but i think with those five doing a little bit deeper dive than we did in episode two we'll have plenty of information to talk about so i hope you'll join me in talking about the first five of the 10 essentials as we improve our outdoor skills here on the natural medic adventures thanks for joining me first skill we're going to talk about is navigation and in navigation, we're going to mostly focus on how to best use a map and compass. In short, we're not going to get into too much detail. If you'd like more detail on this subject, I will put a link to a video I did recently on my YouTube that gives you more detail about how to use your map and compass. But basically, let's talk about the map and compass and how it works and some reasons why it's more reliable than using your phone or a GPS unit. The limitations, of course, on your phone or GPS unit, same deal. Your phone works through a cell phone signal. So there's a lot of apps we talked about back in episode two that are, that are great apps. Uh, All Trails, Onyx Backcountry, Gudhook, all of those are are good and have their place. But what happens if your phone for some reason won't hold a charge? Or your phone, you know, you, for, you forgot your uh, battery backup for your phone, your battery, uh, you know, your battery pack deal. Um, or for some reason you just can't get a signal or you just can't get, you know, the information that you need. Well, then it's time to use the old map and compass. 
So the map and compass have been around a long time. The compass works by a pretty simple uh, technique. There's magnetic fields that are around the Earth, and you have magnetic poles both north and south. So if you're in the northern hemisphere, which I am, being here in North America and Texas, United States of America, um, when I have my compass out, which I have it in my hand right now, I know you can't see me, but you're going to have to take my word for it, that when I hold it in my hand, the needle in there, which is a magnetized or metal needle floating in a liquid, the liquid is an alcohol-based liquid, so it doesn't freeze. It's going to point to the north, magnetic north, always. There's a dial on the compass that has 360 degrees on it. And if I want to go north, I am going to turn my compass to north on the dial. There's a red mark there. I'm going to treat my compass as I am holding it with that arrow kind of sticking through me. Most of the arrows in the compasses, they are various shapes and designs. But this one in particular looks like an actual arrow you would shoot from a bow. So I'm going to pretend that arrow is stuck through me. So I'm going to turn the compass itself until it gets to north. And there we go. So we're on north. So now I can, if I want to go north, I can follow this arrow. And it's going to lead me to the north. The reason I know it's going to lead me to the north is because I have an outlined arrow. In this case, it's the shape of a fleur-de-lis that points me to what is north. It allows me to line up that magnetic arrow with the other arrow. And this compass is never going to run out of batteries. It's never going to lose a signal. Now, it can be affected by magnetic, magnetic fields around it. So if you're around a lot of iron or metal, um, things like that, then you could have, it could affect it that way. But for the most part, this is a, this is a device that does not require batteries. It just does require you knowing how to use this. So I would say for more detail, I would check out my video on YouTube, which is about navigation and using a map and compass. Again, I'm not saying that using uh, all trails or gut hook or a straight up GPS unit is wrong. Definitely not. But those things do run on batteries. They do run on signals from other sources. In the case of GPS units, they run on satellites. If you can't get a good signal, you're not going to get very good information. So definitely work on your map and compass skills just in case, and carry one with you, just in case you need to find your way. Because for, if they didn't get a good signal, you're going to go the wrong way. And there's a lot of maps out there. The particular map I have with me today is one of from Delorme or Delorme. I've heard it pronounced different ways. And it's just a Atlas and Gazetteer. 
And this one in particular is for Colorado. So you can actually turn the pages in there and it can look it up and it has topo maps of the entire state of Colorado. And you can look it up on the back as to which one you want to look at. It has um, recreation areas on there, outdoor adventures, unique natural features, and so forth. So, and, that, and I have these for each of the states. And I'll put a link to this also in the um, description because it's handy to know that. You can also get topo, topo maps from a number of different places on the web and from the USGS. And the USGS actually has a lot of information about how to use a map and compass. But for the sake of time and for the sake of not getting too much in detail, we could spend a whole podcast probably talking about compass, um, compass use with maps and that kind of thing. But I'll refer you to my video that I released uh, last week about uh, how to use your map and compass. And that'll be, give you a little more detail in a little better fashion. All right. We're going to talk about sun protection. Sun protection is very important. And it pretty much goes throughout the year. A lot of people think about this time of year in the summertime when sun protection is of the utmost importance. And it probably is. The sun is more intense. There's more, there's more heat out there and so on and so forth. So it's good to be prepared to deal with sun protection. However, I'm going to tell you right now that sun protection is not just slathering on a bunch of sunscreen and calling it good. And it's definitely not, you know, putting it on only in the summertime because even when it's cooler out, it's cloudy, you can still get burned by the sun. So what you need to do is think about the ways that you can protect yourself from the sun um, the best and also the most efficient, whether that be uh, efficient as far as the ease of doing it or the cost of doing it. Now, if you've looked at the prices of sunscreen lately, sunscreen is not cheap. If you're getting a name-brand sunscreen, even if you're getting an off-brand sunscreen that's similar to some of the name-brand ones, you're still going to pay um, you know, several dollars for a tube or a can of this stuff. And if you're going to coat your entire body or a majority of your body with this stuff, it's going to be quite costly. If you're going on a long trek, several days or weeks backpacking trek, and you're planning on applying sunscreen every day, it's going to get expensive. And also, it's going to get heavy. So probably you need to do a combination of putting on sunscreen on your vital areas, like your face, your hands, and the commonly exposed areas, and then using a combination of clothing and other techniques to protect yourself from the sun. Probably one of the best ways to do that is to thinking about sun protection in the form of clothing. And it seems a little foreign in the heat of the summer, whether you're in Texas or you're somewhere else where it's just, you know, super hot. You know, the last thing you want to think about is putting on a long sleeve shirt. But that long sleeve shirt can protect your skin from that 
overexposure to the sun, which could cause sunburn and ultimately could lead to skin cancer. So you definitely want to consider wearing a long sleeve shirt of some sort to protect yourself. Additionally, you might want to think about a hat. There's a number of hats out there. I'll put a link to some in the description. And a wide-brimmed hat or a, a ball cap that has a cape or a hood that can come down on the side to protect your neck and your ears could be a wise move for sunshine protection. Today, as I record this, I'm looking out my window and it's raining and the temperature is right at 79 degrees, which is unusual for August in Texas, but I could still get exposed to the sun being outside. So I want to be smart and put a, I put, I would wear some kind of a hat out there if I was hiking around and probably at least consider having a long sleeve shirt. And there's a different, uh, there's a large variety of long sleeve shirts you could do. Just a, just a long sleeve t-shirt would be a place to start, but they do make a lot of shirts out there that are long sleeve that have built in SPF factors in the in the fabric. Uh, one in particular that I was interested in was from Outdoor Research. It was called the Echo Sun Hoodie. But those are kind of expensive. So I started looking around and I actually found one that I liked that is on uh, Amazon, one of the Amazon brands. It's Bay Leaf or Ba Leaf. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Sorry if I'm butchering it if you're listening in, guys. Um, but I bought one that was similar to that outdoor research that I looked at has built-in sun protection factors. It has um, a lot of nice features to protect you from the sun. And they're available in a wide variety of colors and sizes. So I got one to try out and I'm still trying to still trying to do that one and use it and review it. And I'm going to be reviewing it in a YouTube video some point in the future but I haven't quite got there yet. So that's one thing that I picked up that I'm going to add to my hiking gear and, like I said, be reviewing sometime in the future. Um, another thing to look at is long pants. I'm usually hiking um, in overgrown areas sometimes anyway, and so I have a variety of pants that I wear that actually the convert these the legs zip off and become shorts, but so far I have not zipped them off and made them into shorts when I've been hiking because usually the it's overgrown. So I'm wearing those long pants protects me from insects. Not only that, but it also protects me from overexposure to the sun. Um, if you want more details on this, I'm, I've got another video that I just released. It's called Sun Protection. It's also on my YouTube channel. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. But basically, when you're thinking about sun protection, you're going to use a combination of things that's going to be the most effective way for you to protect yourself against overexposure from the sun, which causes sun, sunburn and could lead to skin cancer. Hopefully that helps. So, for this third segment of today, we're going to talk about insulation and layering.
And you may be thinking in the summertime, it's not really that important. However, it, it kind of is. So no matter what time of year it is, you want to be prepared for, you know, any weather conditions. The weather could get warmer. The weather could get cooler. The weather could start, it could start raining or snowing or whatever. So you need to be prepared for that. And the way you do that is review your um, layering ideas that you might have. Probably most of us know about layering, but let's go ahead and review how that works as far as, you know, it, it uh, relates to outdoor activities. So basically, when you're layering, you have, in most situations, you're going to have three layers. Now, during the hot times of the year, like right now in Texas, it's not going to be too hot today. It's going to get up to the upper 80s. You know, I probably wouldn't need a... A, an insulating or a warmth layer because it's not going to get cold. However, later in the year, I do need that layer. But you're going to start off with the base layer. The base layer is going to be some type of a layer that is going to wick the sweat off your skin. A lot of times you're, you're thinking about active wear tops like those from Under Armour or um, other related brands that sit on the skin and so when you sweat that sweat gets kind of wicked into that garment so it, and it doesn't really absorb it but it gets it off of your skin your middle layer which I, as i already said will not be used you know as much in the summertime in most places unless you're in the mountains where it's cold during the day you're up at elevation in the rocky mountains or the sierras or someplace like that um that middle layer is going to help your body to retain heat and protect you from the cold. Whereas your outer layer is going to shield you from wind and rain. And that's important year round for the outer layer to be able to shield you from wind and rain. So you may not wear all of those throughout the day. It may get warmer. So you may be, may shed one of those layers like your middle layer or even your top layer, depending on how warm it gets. And you may, you know, as conditions change and become cooler, you may put, you know, those layers back on or one of the layers or whatever. So, you know, for example, as I said, you're going to have some kind of a synthetic, you know, you want to try to avoid cotton um, against your skin to kind of wick that sweat away from your skin so it keeps you, it keeps you dry or drier and also, you know, provides comfort when you're walking around and when you're active. Um, that next layer, the, probably the most affordable one, is going to be something of a, a lightweight fleece of some, of some sort, from, of synthetic nature. There is some resurgence recently in wool garments. They are a little heavier. They are a little more expensive, and that's something to consider. But you would, you know, you would think about, you would think about that um, maybe at a later time. Now, when it's, you know, when it's hot, as I mentioned in the previous segment, you know, I'm still most of the time going to wear long pants, but they are usually convertible pants. That way, 
if it does get extra warm and in the conditions, you know, I'm not, you know, going through a bunch of areas where there's ticks and other, you know, creepy crawlies trying to get me. Um, you know, I can zip those legs off and make them into shorts and it can, you know, help me adjust to the temperature changes. And as it gets cool, I can zip those back on and become, they become long pants again. So that's an option whenever it's warmer. Um, and you may just need, you know, a, a base layer and then a jacket. Let's talk about your jackets, your, your outer, your outer layer, just for a minute. They're going to be available in a, in a number of different configurations and price ranges. Um, some of the best things, fabric that's been around for a long time is Gore-Tex. It came about in the, really came about in the 90s. I believe it was developed in the 80s. But it came about in the 90s and became very, uh, very well used fabric in a lot of things from jackets to hiking boots and all kinds of things. But the cool thing about Gore-Tex is it provides a waterproof layer, but also allows moisture to pass through. And there's a lot of similar fabrics out there, but Gore-Tex is really kind of that granddaddy of them all that provided that, that layer of... Um, waterproof and windproof, you know, protection, but also provided a way for moisture to escape. So pretty, pretty good, pretty good fabric. And there's some that are a little bit different. They're not necessarily uh, completely waterproof. They're more breathable. And so that depends on, you know, what they are. And they're usually are made of different materials. And of course, like I said, we don't have time to go go through all these today. I will link in the show notes to some articles that uh, that talk about this in more detail. But just for review, you're going to start off with a base layer. Then you're going to have a mid a mid weight or you know medium you know medium layer that's going to be kind of for insulation. And then you have your your shell, which is going to protect you from the wind and the rain. Um, and that's kind of it in a nutshell. You do have some other things like soft shells, uh, waterproof, non-breathable shells, which are just coated materials. But it really just kind of depends on your budget and, you know, the conditions that you are in for your hiking adventure. So check the show notes for some more information about this. And I will have a video up a little bit later on in the month, hopefully this week. Uh, regarding how to choose your layers for outdoor activities like hiking. All right, thanks. All right, all right. So for our next segment, we're going to talk about illumination. And illumination primarily is... Focusing on being able to see in in dark or low light situations, and everybody has their preference. Everybody has what they like, but I think the best choice, of course, is a headlamp of some sort. There's a lot of variety, a lot of manufacturers, with a lot of different features out there. So we're going to go over that a little bit. Um, illumination, of course, is important to have in your pack as part of the 10 essentials because 
You know, you might start off with that hike first thing in the morning. You get lost on the trail. Member of your party gets injured, and you have to stay out there. You know, when it's dark or almost dark, and you know, try to get back to where you started. So it's good to have that with you just in case that trip goes longer than you planned. And if you're going to be out there anyway, and you know it's going to be dark if you're on a multiple multiple day trip or week trip or whatever. You definitely want to have that uh, good headlamp that's going to uh, work the best for you. So let's talk about some features of a, a lot of headlamps that are out there. Um, first thing you probably see is is the lumens, and what that means is however however bright your headlamp is, and what that means is the higher the number, the brighter that it is. Okay. The next thing to think about is floodlight versus spotlight. A floodlight basically doesn't go a very long distance, but it provides light over a wide area. Okay. Whereas a spotlight obviously just works exactly like it sounds. Um, it's a it's a focused light that provides um, you know, light that is focused into one smaller beam. And even though it's focused in one smaller beam, you know, depending on the lumens and the power of your headlamp, it could actually shine, you know, so you're going through your pack or some of your gear or long distance down the trail. Okay. Um, and a lot of these different, different places, or different places, different headlamps that are out there, they are using... Uh, different types of night vision. So there's especially three different types of night vision that are out there. The first one is the red night vision. That's probably the, one of the most common ones that's out there. The red night vision is handy because it doesn't um, mess up our night vision. Our, our our eyes are the least sensitive to red light. And also it reduces the amount of insects that are getting attracted to your headlamp because you you know, if you've worn a headlamp before, you know, moths and other insects that are attracted to light, you know, could be, you know, dive bombing you and buzzing you as you go throughout um, your hike and stuff. So, you you know, the red light usually is not as intense, but it's also, you know, our eyes are less sensitive to it. So you actually can see better and it doesn't uh, affect our night vision. Um, blue light is another choice that's on there. Um the ones that I have seen so far, most of them are not going to have necessarily blue, red and blue. And the third one is green. So the blue light actually helps you see through fog. Um, you might see that on vehicles, on fog lamps, the light kind of comes out kind of bluish. And then the green light is more um, what people use in, uh, for hunting lights because it doesn't disturb the wild animals and helps to preserve the vision. Okay. So that's kind of a bit of features right there. So a lot of them are going to have a distance time or distance length, sorry, that's going to tell you, you know, how far they will go. So the longer that they are, um, the longer it's going to shine, you know, out away from you. And the shorter beam distance is going to be for um, you know, looking through your pack or looking at your gear or looking at something that's closer to you. And 
Another thing to keep in mind is with the intensity and sometimes with the type of the of the beam that's out there, it's going to affect your average running time and the brightness. If you run your light on full brightness, um, typically that's probably going to use your batteries and your reduce your running time. Uh, the running time just means you know how long the light will run, how long the light will work before you need to put in new batteries or recharge it. Um, some of these out there can be a little bit heavy. So that's something you might want to consider as well. And, you know, generally speaking, the more features that you, that you get into, the more cost you may have. Okay. So think about all that. So basically, think of it like this. You are trying to think about the ways that you would use your headlamp, what kind of things you'll be that'll be useful for you, and how long um, and you know how much how much you have to spend and things like that. There's nothing at all wrong right now. If you can't afford some of these more expensive headlamps, you can, you can put that on your wish list for the future. And there's nothing wrong at all with having a regular flashlight like you get, you know, at the dollar store or at Walmart or something like that. That's just a few bucks just to have something in your pack just in case. But if you're going to do this, you know, you know, serious, you probably want something, you know, that's, that's pretty decent as far as a headlamp goes. And that can run you, you know, depending on what you're going to do. Some of them have some extra modes, too, um, that not only would change the intensity, so they can do a low, a low mode, which is using the, you know, the least amount of light that is able to put out. And that's you know, going to be good for close-up and also just walking on the trail as long as there's not any obstructions and things like that in the few, in the, in the, you know, down the trail further you're trying to watch out for. Um, and some of those headlamps have a mid-level. Some of them have a high or maximum level, which gives it out. And some of them have a emergency blinker. Um, or strobe type light that allows you to um, flash for emergencies or, you know, just have that extra feature there for, for whatever. Um, most of them are going to be able to, to withstand, you know, weather, whatever weather might be thrown at them. And... Some of them will be completely waterproof and also will be able to stand, you know, being dropped or being, you know, you know, run into a tree branch or something like that when you're out there. Um, so you have to think about all of those different things. Take that into consideration. I do have a video that I am planning for the future, hopefully planning on getting that out next week on my YouTube. And I've, I'm already going to have links to some existing videos from previous topics we've talked about this week or this episode, excuse me. Raj, we're still doing a monthly deal. But um, but anyway, that kind of gives you an overview of different things. So I'll, I'll put some, some articles that I know will be helpful to you in selecting your, your light out there. And then, like I said, look for the video coming up soon from our YouTube channel. It'll give you some more in-depth information about how to select your, your, the best headlamp for you. Thanks. All right, apologies for the noise.
across the street. They're mowing, and there's a train going by. So hopefully it won't be too distracting for you. But anyway, we're going to talk about first aid. It's going to be our last topic of the day and how important that is to uh, having your 10 essentials kit. So first aid, I've been... I've been a paramedic since 2014. I've been an EMS since 2013. Started off as an EMT, then went through paramedic school, and um, you know, been working as a paramedic, you know, for a while, for about uh, say going on seven, yeah, going on seven years just as a paramedic, and eight years, you know, in EMS. So this is a subject I could talk about for a long time. But we're not going to spend too, too much time on it today for this, for sake of brevity. Just to give you some ideas of what you might be uh, wanting to include in your first aid kit. And what I have been carrying for the past, I don't know, couple of years, for the most part, in my kit, is pretty simple. I have a bandana that I wrap up everything in. The bandana itself, actually, I know you can't see this, but I'm kind of describing it to you. The bandana itself is a survival bandana that I got at an outdoor event or a training event for when I was back with the park as a park ranger several years ago. But it's got some different outdoor skills on there and different things that you can look for um, for uh, for use. But you can use any bandana. Bandanas are cheap. You can get one for super cheap at Dollar Tree or Walmart or the Dollar Store, Target, whatever, wherever you might want to shop for these. And inside of this little bandana, I have it wrapped up. Um, I have a little tube of what we call liquid skin. And there's a whole different variety of those that are out there. But basically, it just kind of is applied over a wound. So you have to think about what are the most common things that are, that are going to happen to you when you're out there in the wild. You're going to get um, you're going to get cuts or scrapes or abrasions from different things, depending on what you you know what area you're in and the terrain that you're in. Uh, the liquid skin is basically just a liquid kind of kind of almost like an adhesive, but it forms a little protective layer over cuts. And I prefer that sometimes to bandages because it doesn't. It provides a waterproof covering of that uh, that wound area, and it protects it, and it's really easy to apply. And I carry a little tube of that. I have a small little roll of medical. It's not really tape. It's just kind of like a foam. Well, I guess it is tape. It's like a, I'm not really sure what the name of it is, but I'm fixing to start carrying something similar to that. It's a little bit bigger that I found recently. Actually, actually, all of this stuff, except for one item, you can get at the Dollar Tree. But I've got one from Curad. It's called a self-adherent wrap. It's uh, two inches by five yards long. It's a little black fabric that you can use for, um, you know, wrapping wrapping uh, wounds. Once you put a you know a bandage, you know a bandage or a, adhesive, a, a four by four pad, sorry, uh, underneath, you could use it to wrap up a wound. You could use it for splinting. You could use it for a lot of different things. And this, you know, just like everything at the Dollar Tree, is a dollar. And I have, like I said, some foam, some foam tape, which is kind of similar to that. It's just not as wide. It's about a half inch 
wide stuff that I also got at the Dollar Tree. Then I have a little travel pack from a company called Care Pack. I've been carrying that primarily as my first aid kit with those other additional items. And inside of it, it has uh, eight sheer bandages that are the standard Band-Aid size. So they're three inch by three quarter inch. Then it has four of the smaller size bandages or Band-Aids, which are three quarter inch by one and a half inch. Then you have two uh, sheer bandages, which are just the circular ones, a couple of knuckle bandages or butterfly bandages, a couple of gauze pads that are two by two, and some alcohol preps. And it's all in a little thin case. The case is probably about three inches by four inches, and it's flat, so it fits in your pack very easily. The other thing I have, which actually is not available at the Dollar Tree, is by KT Tape, and it is a blister treatment patch. And there's six patches in here. They will last up to seven days. They're just a um, 1.3 by 2.1 inch um, blister treatment bandage or patch. They just go over the, if you get a hot spot or you get a blister, you can put it over this. They'll last for seven days, forms a waterproof seal. And it also claims it will heal um, two times faster than traditional bandages. And as far as I'm concerned, I have used these a couple of times. It actually... That actually does work pretty pretty well. I have another variant of a first aid kit from um, from the Dollar Tree as well. I'll read you what's in it. I'll never put links down here. Um, it's got eight cotton swabs in it, one tweezer, one mini scissor, two adhesive bandages that are the standard size. They're 2.83 inches by 0.71 inch. A safety pin, four that are, you know, it's a big safety pin, then the four smaller safety pins, and one multi multifunctional knife. So, there's, yeah, okay, many scissors. I did read that. So, it's got some additional stuff in there, and it's an 18 piece kit. It's also a dollar at the Dollar Tree. Um, so, pretty cheap there to add to your pack. Um, but I did recently pick up this one, and I'll read it off real quick. It is from company called Be Prepared, or sorry, not Be Prepared, it's, the company is Be Smart, Get Prepared, and it's actually, I've seen it at Walmart, and it's uh, a company that has a little compact, one person, this is a little happy hiker kit is what they call it, for cuts, scrapes, bites and stings, blisters and sunburns, so it has a lot of variety of stuff in there, and just real quick, um, that's pretty much the same stuff, just a little bit uh, different pouch. It's a little zipper pouch. It pretty much has everything that I talked about in a little pouch. And I think they I think they're for. I got it at Walmart uh, a couple weeks ago. It is uh, right around seven bucks, I want to say. But it's got pretty much all the stuff that we mentioned before um, for those things like that. So for yourself, a small kit like that. You know, is perfect, or what? Or what I mentioned before, which I spent. Uh, other than the blister kit itself, I spent um, right at about three or four bucks. So I don't have to spend a whole lot. You have to think about what kind of common things are you going to get into, and happen to you. And you know, as you go along, and you can, you know, add other other items as 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 needed as you see fit. And the, the cool thing about that is 
you know, when you get more experience. And I definitely recommend picking up some kind of first aid training. There's a lot of places out there you can do in person or on uh, an online course where you can do wilderness first aid, which kind of goes beyond, you know, the regular first aid. The regular first aid is fine. Usually there's some aspect of that thrown into a CPR class. But the wilderness first aid, you know, does things with a little more of a of an outdoor, you know, wild type focus of things that could happen. And that's definitely a good class to take. And I'll give you some information in the show notes on, on this. And I, definitely I'm going to do, do a video here in the future about uh, first aid. It'll be a little more in depth for you. So hopefully that helps. All right. Well, we've come to another end of the episode for the Natural Medic Adventures. I appreciate you listening to me and sticking with me to the end here. Definitely hope you gain some knowledge and some better understanding of the first five of the 10 essentials that we have talked about today. As I said before, check the show notes after this episode is posted to see the more detailed information about each different area that we talked about today and some additional resources that will help you further kind of hone those skills. As always, I'm going to offer to you a discount on any printable items related to this podcast in uh, in my Etsy store. My Etsy store's name is Roadrunner Rarities, and the discount code is going to be 50 off. It's going to be 50% off of any printables that are in my store. And I realize by the time you hear this, uh, they, all of them may not be up, but I'm working on them diligently, and they will be up soon. And they'll have a big resource for you to have to keep with you to print out or to keep on your device or your phone or whatever to uh, reference for the future when you are building your outdoor skills or trying to become a better hiker or adventurer or whatever. So with that said, I want to thank you again for being here. Uh, anybody that you know out there in the in the uh, the good old interwebs that that likes to be a likes to or would, or would like to be a hiker or an out, outdoors person and improve their skills, there something that you know would would definitely dig this. Do me a favor and share my podcast with them. This podcast is completely free for anyone to listen to, and the great thing about that is the more people that listen more people I can help enjoy creating their adventures in the outdoors. So until next time, I'll see you out there on the trail.